Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. All right, those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. Luke is wearing maroon shoes, by the way, so that's, I don't know if y'all saw that or not. Thank y'all, Ithovens. Um, also, another, I guess, public service announcement I forgot to mention in the announcement. So with the uh, citywide mask mandate, uh, I guess, kind of going away t- this Tuesday, um, the mask mandates, which have been very loosely, uh, you know, policed here at Westminster will also go away. So that's a big day, Tuesday, okay? Um, Jude chapter, well, there's no chapter, Jude 1. And um, you, you may remember that we, this is the same exact passage that we did last time, and um, that's because we, we didn't hit, only we only hit half of it the first week. Um, but, you know, for Jude just to be one page of your Bible, um, there have been uh, scholars and commentators who have, uh, who have written 1,000-page works on this one page of Scripture. So it's uh, sometimes uh, the best things come in, in small packages, uh, so to speak. Um, so Jude, uh, we're going to do uh, one through four. Uh, but before we read, um, just kind of set the stage about Jude. So when I, was, uh, when I went to college, I was... In, I, probably have said this at some point, I was super sheltered, like ultra sheltered, uh, very naive uh, country boy. And I went to college just assuming, you know, everybody's a Christian. Of course they are, right? And uh, I got there and found that I was, I was way wrong on that because my, my neighbor uh, in the freshman dorm was this guy from Huntsville named John. And uh, John liked to have a good time. I know y'all probably all know some Johns in your life. He was very much the life of the party. Uh, and though I, you know, he came to church with me a time or two, uh, he gave like no indication that he was a Christian or wanted to be uh, a Christian. Well, later that year, uh, John got in a, a pretty bad car wreck with his girlfriend. He got in a lot of other trouble in a lot of different ways. And so he, had to, <laughs> he didn't make it through first year of, of, at South Alabama. So he had to go home. And I didn't, I, I didn't hear from him again for the longest time. Um, well, so, so fast forward 15 years after, after that, that first, uh, our freshman year, and I'm at General Assembly. It's the you know, big church meeting for the PCA. Um, and walking through this, I, I guess, big, uh, well, I guess, assembly hall, uh, and out of this sea of all these people who are dressed in the, the PCA pastor uniform, which is like, khakis, button-down, blue sports coat. That's like, that's the uniform. Uh, out of the sea of these people, I hear someone calling my name, Richard, Richard. And it was a uh, life of the party, John. It's calling my name. And I said, like, dude, what in the world are you doing here? You know? Um, and he was so excited. He said, look, the, the gospel had, had gotten a hold of him and Jesus had transformed him. And then he, he'd gotten called into the ministry and he was currently in seminary. And he was hoping to one day be a pastor in the PCA. 
And y'all, this is one of those definitely like you've got to be kidding me moments. Because if you knew John in freshman year, you'd be like, this, this will never, ever, ever happen. Um, and if God can do this, man, he can do anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I remember thinking, like, if, he could, if, if God can reach party boy John, then no one is out of his reach. So fast forward a few more years, John finished seminary. He accepted a call to be a church planner uh, in a city that didn't have a, another PCA presence. Um, and so 21 years after I basically wrote him off, uh, he is now pastoring a church uh, in Syracuse, New York. Um, I say that because in the same way, but even more so, that's what we have with Jude, the author of this, this book. And as we found last time, this Jude isn't the, the Jude that St. Jude's Hospital is named after. That's Thaddeus, the, uh, the disciple. Um, this is the Jude that he identifies himself as the brother of James, who was the leader of the Jerusalem church. James, who was the brother of Jesus, which also meant that this is Jude, uh, the at least half-brother of Jesus. And so when, when Jesus was on this earth and ministering, Jude didn't believe in him. If anything, Jude thought that he was crazy. Uh, you would think that as Jesus was growing in popularity, that that would be the time that his brothers would say, okay, well, we'll kind of ride his coattails. But no, it wasn't until after Jesus' death and his resurrection. It wasn't until Jesus' followers were starting to actually be persecuted that James and Jude were saved and the scales fell off their eyes and they saw Jesus for who he really, really uh, was and is. And so, y'all, if, if God can save Jude and use him greatly for the church, then no one is out of his reach. Then he can, he, then he can use anyone for his glory. Well, as we found last time, this is the letter that almost didn't happen because remember, you see at the beginning that Jude intended to write another letter, but something happened, and by the Spirit, Jude, Jude pivoted. And uh, he wanted to say something else, but he said, there's something that's more pressing. Um, well, let's, let's continue to find out what that is. So this is God's Word. Jude 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James... To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept in Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's, let's pray. Oh, fathers, we dive in now to your word. That you, we ask that you would teach us. Um, our Lord, teach us what does it mean? What, what, what were you telling us through Jude? And what are you telling us today? Uh, so, Lord, we ask that your Spirit would come and illuminate this passage. Uh, Lord, give us, I mean, just attention, just to, to pay attention. We ask this in Christ. Amen. So, my brother Brad just started a new job. He, he's a nurse, and he serves uh, as a, uh, now a flight coordinator for one of these air med, evac-type companies. 
And uh, so his, his, essentially this, if there's a, you know, an organ donation situation or there's someone who, um, I mean, a very dire emergency, medical emergency, and they just do jets. They don't do the helicopters. But, you know, you got to be jetted like they'll go get somebody in like Dubai or like they'll fly across over to Europe and grab somebody and get them back to America. And so Brad's job is to, uh, when, when the emergency happens, call comes into Brad. Brad sets it up and kind of as a, a pre-flight you know, nurse, he you know, answers any questions, makes sure they got all the stuff stocked on the, the flight. Um, and then it's, you know, wheels up. Uh, they go. Uh, but apparently, uh, lately there's been a glitch in their system uh, because Brad's been, instead of receiving calls from people who need help getting, you know, flying, uh, he's been receiving calls uh, that are supposed to be going to their sales department. He's, he keeps receiving calls from people wanting to, to buy a plan, you know, an air evac plan. And so uh, Brad being, you know, I guess who he is, like, he, he doesn't really know how to help him, but he tries to help him. And uh, he says, look, I, I can't help you, but let me, let me call someone who can help you. And so he called his higher-ups in, in the company uh, who, who ended up saying, yeah, 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 here's, here's a number you need to give them. And, and they said the number to Brad, and, and Brad was like, um, that's my number. Like, that, that's the number I'm calling you on right now. <laughs> um, and, and so for a while, we don't know why, this, this worldwide company had a glitch in their system that was causing their, their purpose to be hindered. You know, they couldn't serve their customers as well as they could because of this mis- miscommunication. Um, look, in the same way, you know, when it comes to life or when it comes to you, know, you on your job, your business, your farm, you know, working with employees, um, you know, if, if, if everybody knows what they're doing, what their purpose is, and we're all working in sync, then things kind of flow pretty well, Right? But what happens when like, some of that miscommunication is, 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 or miscommunication happens? Um, you, you don't know your purpose. There's, there's, you know, there's a glitch in the system. Um, you know, for us to thrive, we need to know our, our purpose in work, right, uh, in life. Uh, we also need to know our purpose in faith. You know, what is the purpose of the church? What do we do as Christians and for, for many who are raised in the church, we, we have this beautiful tool called the catechism, right? And we, we know in the, the first catechism, we have this super clear answer, like, what is your purpose? Like, what is the chief end of man? And we know, well, it's, it's to glorify God and, and to enjoy Him forever. That's why we're here. Um, and, and what's beautiful is as we walk by faith through life, we, we learn more and more. This is what discipleship is. We learn, like, okay, what does it mean to glorify God and to enjoy Him now? Or now as I'm, I'm about to be 40, what does it mean in my 40s? Or what does it mean as we retire? Uh, what does it mean? And so as we walk, we learn what does it mean to ascribe worth to God? You know, what does it mean to enjoy Him in our jobs to enjoy him in our marriage as children growing up, what does it mean? What does that look like going to college? You know, what does it look like to glorify God and to enjoy him through pain and loss and suffering? And in Scripture, we're told that following Jesus entails several things that it's, it means uh, giving our worship to God, it, it means thankfulness, it, 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 it's uh, it's being in awe, knowing that in Christ we live every second of every day before the face of a smiling, our, our sm- smiling creator. It, it means reveling in the wonder 
of salvation, the hope that we have in Christ. Um, but it's, it's not just theological. You know, it's also extremely practical, this, this concept of discipleship. Um, it's responding to Jesus' generosity by being generous. You know, it's, it's following Jesus um, by, well, considering ourselves not better than anyone else, but, but serving others. It's not only loving our neighbors as ourselves, but it's also loving our enemies. It's you know, turning the other cheek and pursuing peace. It's doing whatever we can to reconcile uh, this lost and hurt and broken, broken world. Um, but, and this is a, a big, big but, uh, this is why we preach the whole counsel of Scripture it's because there's another side of our purpose that if we don't get, then we can be kind of like my brother's company. That if we don't get this, then there's not fully, you know, not full communication here going. Because when it comes here, and this is our first point of the sermon, we're called to contend. Like none of what we said, none of Jesus' teaching means that we're called to be doormats or complete pacifists. Um, because Jude here and then in other places, we see that, that there are some things worth fighting for. In fact, maybe we don't fight enough as Christians. Uh, you know, we have to remember that the same Jesus who was meek and mild, gentle and lowly, right, is, is also the same Jesus that took the whip and he went into the temple and he kicked over tables and he chased the robbers out of his father's house. That, you know, we see in Scripture that there are some things that are worth pushing back from the table and standing up and saying, over my dead body. And so I tried to highlight last week, I don't think I was explicit enough, that, that some believers, uh, you know, we have a tendency to hear verses kind of like this or what you find in First Peter where, where Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense. Like, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you uh, the reason for the hope that is in you. Be, be ready for that. You know, we, we read that and we think, well, well, that's not for me. Um, well, maybe that's for those apologists, you know, those people that study theology and philosophy and science. And these are for the people that go and they debate Richard Dawkins. Uh, or maybe that's for the elders of our church. But, but me? <laughs> I contend. But get this, and, and Jude opens this letter laying it out so clearly. He says that if you're going to claim the mercy and the peace and the love of God being multiplied to you, which we, we want that, right? That if you claim that, then you also have to claim this verse here where it says, contend for the faith. Like, like that is part of our purpose. Like the only way you get out of contending is by not belonging to God. And so, you know, I used to think uh, that motorcycle riders, I used to, oh, they used to annoy me. Um, because motorcycle riders, it's, it's like you buy a motorcycle, and I'll, I'll, next thing you know, you've got you know, got a leather jacket. You get the whole you know, the whole get up, right? Uh, and I used to think, man, they just wear those jackets just because they want to look cool. They're not cool, okay? Um, but but then uh, I, I just found this out. There's a, there's a much deeper reason why motorcyclists wear leather jackets, um, and maybe it is partly because it makes them look cool, but. Um, turns out that, that riders wear leather because, you know, if you wreck on a motorcycle, which apparently you inevitably will, um, if you wreck on a motorcycle and you're sliding down the asphalt, um, leather is one of the materials that, when sliding, will not disintegrate. 
um, that it, it'll, it's, it'll, it'll maintain its integrity. And so they ride it, they, they wear it primarily for protection. Well, um, it's the same way, kind of. Um, the reason why our worship services are, are, are steeped with, with Bible readings and, and the reason why we're so intentional that our, our sermons are not self-help pep talks but, but gospel-drenched expositions, um, it, it isn't because, well, that's what real Christian worship looks like, though it is, that's, that's part of the reason, but it's, 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 it's more than that. Um, just like these, you know, the leather jackets, there's a, there's a deeper reason to why we, we do this, a deeper reason than just looks. It's, it's because, one, um, when things hit the fan in your life, uh, when life and faith and doubt and pain and suffering all collide, self-helpisms won't help you. Um, no, the, the only thing that sees us through the storm, that sees us through that, the wreck, is the same thing that has seen the generations of Christians before us. It's, it's being clothed in Jesus Christ alone. Okay? So, so we hold on to the one who is holding on to us. But, but then second, you know, we, we seek to have this gospel-drenched worship services so that we can know what the message of Jesus really is. So that, that when you hear something either here or around town that just kind of, it just doesn't sound like the gospel, then your, your spidey senses go off. And um, it doesn't sit well with you. Uh, you know, kind of like you don't have to be a professionally trained musician. Like you don't have to go to like Juilliard or, or, or Berkeley um, to listen to a song and hear a bad note. It's like, you know, I don't know if that's supposed to be there. I think that was a mistake. Um, the same way. The same way as that. Like you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be an elder. All you have to do is if you listen to enough gospel, if you hear enough of the true gospel, then you're immediately going to be able to spot what doesn't belong to spot the counterfeit. And, and so as believers, we are all called to contend. We're all called to contend, which, which begs the question, and which is our second point, well, contend for what, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and this is important because there are a lot of issues out there. You know, as you look through the news and through social media, like it's very easy to get compassion fatigue. Do you ever do that? Like, I just don't know if I can pray for all these people. Um, to get compassion fatigue. You know, it hasn't been that long since there was a group of Christians in America that called themselves the moral majority, and they contended in the realm of politics. Um, or even more recently, there have been a group of Christians who, who saw it their duty uh, to be culture warriors, right? To contend in the culture, or to be social justice warriors. And even most recently, there have been those who have taken up the call to contend for Christian nationalism, okay? And I want to be careful because I know that we may even have some in our congregation that are kind of in that camp. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a difference between uh, being a Christian patriot uh, and then being a Christian nationalist, right? You know, Christian patriotism is a good thing. Um, but uh, so one is biblical, one, one not so much, um, so there's these, these big things that all the way down to these small things that, that we contend, even you know, down to like personal preferences in church that we contend and fight over. Uh, I think I've told you that I've got a colleague who, who got fired for the paint color in the, in the sanctuary, right? They just fired him. Uh, which I don't know, pastors probably shouldn't care, you know. 
that he probably shouldn't have even talked about it. Um, you know, in, in churches, there are those who are, are constantly complaining. And it's really easy for us to think that, well, it's because they care. But they care about the congregation, and, and that may be so. But it's also possible that, ironically, <laughs> they are the very people we are called to contend with. And so we've got to see this. You know, they may call themselves opinionated, but the Bible calls them a particular type of false teacher. Jude wants us to see that false teaching isn't just the guy in the pulpit teaching you something weird or the Sunday school teacher. It's not a teaching, per se, but it's a lifestyle, the way you live. That There's a way that you talk. There's a way that you present that is not like Christ. And so Jude says that if you are, you know, they call themselves opinionated, the Bible calls you a grumbler. Grumblers, like that is a false teacher. Um, Jude says so much in verse 16, he says, these are grumblers, they're malcontents, they're never happy, never going to be happy. Um, Well, the gospel makes you content, it's it's this weird thing that happens there. Following their own sinful desires, they are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So, So what do we contend for? Yeah, so if we fight for anything, we see it's that we fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay? So two things here. This is what we fight for. First, um, by the faith, Jude means just like all the main things. All, all the main things of the, of the faith, not personal preferences, but it's, it's the gospel. It's that God created everything perfect, that we fell, that we lost paradise but even then, God wasn't done with us. He sent his son to die the perfect death on the cross to bring us back, to create a way back. And so that one day paradise would be restored, that everything sad would come untrue. And so it's everything that that entails. And then, uh, or as George Whitfield put it, he said, Faith's fullness is the life of God in the soul of man. Um, it's contending for the main thing. And then second... Um, this, this verse here shows us that contrary to what you're going to hear when you go to college and you take your kind of intro to religion class, um, that, that liberal scholarship suggests that the Bible was written hundreds of years after Jesus, that it's just a bunch of myths, it's religious propaganda, uh, and, and it's mainly, it's just a, a purely a human creation of literature. Like contrary to all that, Jude, who is writing this in the mid-60s A.D., so just you know, a few decades after Jesus' death, Jude says at, at this point, at, at this point of his writing, not hundreds of years after the fact, but at this point in the first century, the entire teaching that we call the faith had already been delivered to the saints. And so it's kind of like this when you order something and uh, UPS or FedEx shows up at your door uh, they deliver your package. Well, how do you, what do you do with a delivery? Um, you just you receive that which was delivered, right? When the same way, that's what Jude is saying. It's like, look, this isn't being like made up. We aren't conjuring this up. No, the faith is this thing that has been delivered to you. And so the church, instead of making up the faith like liberal theologians would say, no, the church just received it. They just received it. So Jude's saying... Look, we're not waiting on future revelations. We're, we're not waiting on our religion to evolve so it can be a more civilized religion, maybe like some churches in Europe. We're not waiting on God to speak to us because like, he's already spoken to us in his word, which means, and this is huge, 
the gospel isn't up for discussion, okay? Um, It's not ours to change, or like Thomas Jefferson cut out the bits that we don't really like. Um, It's not our place to say, you know, this part seems awfully out of step with our current culture, so let's just kind of change it. Like, we can't say that because, like, you know, we, we live in a fallen world, and this is God's holy word. Like, the Bible, the, the minute it was written, it was out of step with the culture. It's always been out of step with culture. And, and so this sounds very un-American, but it's not God's word that needs to be changed. It's us, right? Through His Spirit that needs to change. And so we contend by guarding the faith that was delivered to the saints. And, and now Paul tells us, as we do that, to be kind, to be patient with others, to deal gently but it's also to not be blind, like to wake up and to see what's really going on, that we, we have to see the apostate nature of those who reject and ridicule, but also who replace the truth. Um, you know, for instance, um, and I know many of you know this, but Harvard, uh, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, Columbia, Brown, and, and the University of Chicago you know, these, these uh, schools that, you know, we would be delighted if they let us in there, right? These Ivy League schools, um, like, they were all founded as Christian colleges initially. Like, they were literally founded to train up ministers for the gospel. Uh, but over time, as they cut and they changed and they replaced, so much so that, that now none of them stand for anything remotely close to the historic teachings of, of Jesus, um, and you, we could say the same about so, so many denominations, right, that call themselves the church, but, but they're not the church. Uh, they, have, they, they, they left the church long ago, but we still, we call them Christians today in America, but we've got to see, that, like, there are apostate churches out there. Um, that is not Christianity. That's a whole other religion is what they're doing. And so we contend by, for the faith, not for pop culture, though this is a very Calvinistic, you know, ism, like, we live in culture, and so we do interact with culture, and we try to redeem culture. Um, we interact in politics, but that's not our main fight. Our main fight is to contend for the faith. And then, third point, um, Jude wants us to see who do we contend with. Like, who, all right, who, who are we fighting? Uh, verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's easy to know who to fight when you know who the enemy is, right? Um, when like, all right, you're in the red trunks, they're in the black trunks, and they're on the other side of the ring for you. Okay, that's who we fight, right? Um, in in uh, Disney cartoons, it's easy to know who the bad guy is. Um, but, what happens when, but what happens when the enemies are within the gates, and maybe this is why there's no, there's no hurt like Christian hurt when another Christian hurts you. Um, what happens when they're not dressed in black, but they, they look like us? What if they seem to be on the same team as us? You know, one person said, this is why spies are universally hated. G.K. Chesterton quipped that the Bible tells us to love our enemies and also to love our neighbors because generally... They're the same people, right? Um, Would you want us to see that these false teachers who come in with these false ideas about the faith, like they don't have horns? No, he's later going to tell us that these are the same people taking communion, like they're at the communion table with you. 
That phrase crept in unnoticed is just one huge compound word in Greek, which means uh, to settle in alongside quietly. Um, it's uh, this idea that they've come in, they've joined the church, they love their spouse, they pray with their eyes closed. But all the while, the version, their version of the gospel and the gospel of Jesus aren't the same. And this is like the so subtle differences. Um, so it, it, again, I hope y'all see it. it's not just it's, it's not just you hearing a false gospel from the pulpit, but it's hearing things that you hear all the time around town. That's like, well, I'm just working my way. I'm just doing my best to get to heaven. Um, it's a false understanding of Jesus, a false understanding of the gospel that trickles down. Um, stats say that now I think it's I, it's over over 25 percent of Christians believe that they need something other than Jesus to save them. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's so subtle, but, but that's it. And so Jude gives us a lot of examples of what he's talking about, and we're going to talk about that as we go through this series. But in this passage, he, just, he begins with just two. Uh, first, he says that these false teachers, they turn God's grace into a reason to be more sinful. Um, they say, well, that if, God's, God, if God accepts us as we are, then, he's just, then, then what's the big deal? Then why pursue holiness? Um, why not sin more so that we can get more grace? And, and here's the thing. like God does accept you as you are. But the wonder of the gospel is that his acceptance of you as you are doesn't, it like, it doesn't make you want to keep sinning. It actually it transforms you. That love is a power, higher love that transforms you into him. And so Paul combats this in Romans 6. He says that, look, the math doesn't work. One sin plus two sins doesn't equal more grace. He says, no, the, the true gospel says, of course there's grace. Yes, but grace transforms. <laughs> that, that grace actually leads us away from our sins. It actually makes us more like our Savior. And so if, if there's no desire for holiness, then it's not the gospel. And then second, and, and as we close, we contend because, or we contend against those who deny Jesus the place of ultimate authority. And again, contending as we fight. Uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy that this means correcting with gentleness and with patience. Uh, because who knows, God may perhaps grant them repentance and they may come to their senses so Jude's saying, look, there will be people in the church who think Jesus is a great guy. I mean, they almost sound like they're a Christian. And, and we've said this before, but like everybody, like everybody loves Jesus. Muslims love Jesus. Hindus love Jesus. Atheists love Jesus. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is radical. Like, it is phenomenal teaching. Just on a pure, if you just want to stay on the humanistic level, Sermon on the Mount, best sermon of all time. Um, and so they'll think, yeah, I mean, he, he's a great moral teacher. He's a good example, maybe for them or for their children to emulate, but he's not God. And not only is he not God, but he's not our Savior, and we don't even think we need saving. And so they completely miss the beauty of Jesus, but here's the reality, and here's where we'll end. You know, even those who don't think they need saving, deep down really do. This will offend them if you tell them this, by the way, but, so, but they really do. 
Because every one of us deep down in our bones, we, we, we know that, that life isn't supposed to be like this. That, that we long for better days, but if this world is all that there is, like if there is nothing better, then where does that longing for better come from? Why even have that? Um, where does that deep gnaw come from? I mean, it can't be a result of evolution, can it? Because if it were, I mean, it seems like that would be detrimental to, the, to humankind. All it does is tick us off if it's not possible. Um, I mean, if it was a result of, of evolution, we'd be better off just staying as animals and just kind of thinking like animals. So could it be, though, that the Bible is true? That God did make us in His own image different from the animals, and He gave us souls and the Bible says that, that that longing that you have is, is a, it's a little Easter egg, so to speak, that God has kind of hidden up in your soul. It, it's a ghost in the machine, so to speak, that God has placed eternity in our hearts, which means that there's a part of us, of all of us, a small part of us that knows what Eden was like, that knows what paradise was like, and at the same time, we know that this ain't it. And so we know we need saving to, co- to go back to, to paradise and so to miss that is, is to deny your deepest and really your only true need you have. But, but Westminster, to believe the gospel is to know that in Jesus, that ache has been, mapped, has been met. It's met its match. And so here's the good news. There is one name under heaven uh, whereby you can be saved. And if you see Jesus as your Savior, uh, then you will also bow to Him and follow Him as your King. He is your all. And so, friends, if you want to take a stand for something in 2021, if you want something to fight for, I want to encourage you to fight for the gospel, to take a stand and fight for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the reminder that uh, this life as a believer isn't just rosy uh, where we just hang out and eat fried chicken um, on Sundays. Um, but Lord, this is a life of, of, yes, peace and joy and resting in you, but it's also a life of contending uh, because there are wolves, wolves in the midst of us and sometimes before we can feed the sheep, we've got to defend the sheep. And so, Lord, may we all see this not just as, as my duty or not our elders' duty, but all of our duty uh, to defend the flock, Lord, to keep the faith. So, Lord, continue to capture us with the joy of Jesus, uh, so much so that we just can't stomach a lesser joy. We can't stomach lesser things. Uh, make Jesus big to us. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.